0: The reading is taken from Revelation, chapter 2, verses 12 to 17, to be found on page 243 of the New Testament section of the Church Bibles. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him, Who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you are living, where Satan's throne is. Yet you are holding fast to my name. And you did not deny your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you, where Satan lives. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the people of Israel so that they would eat food sacrificed to idols and practice fornication. So you also have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent then. If not, I will come to you soon and make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To everyone who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give a white stone, and on the white stone is written a new name that no one knows except the one who receives it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Let me lead you in a prayer. Father, we thank you for giving us grace to be members of your family here at All Saints in many different ways. And we pray as a company of your people this evening as we open the written word. Please grant that our hearts too might be open to receive from you. May we both learn and be formed in the shape of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So, I wonder if you know this one. Um, Colonel Mustard, with the revolver, in the study. It's going to get even more excited. Mrs. White, with a spanner, in the conservatory. This is Peacock with a lead pipe in the dining room. Let's see what these other cards revealed. The Reverend Green has got to be an ordained person in this game of Cluedo. Uh, with a candlestick, how appropriate is that? Bit of a lottery, which room? Oh, it's in the ballroom. are many houses have ballrooms today. Do you know the board game Cluedo? Great fun, in my opinion. Old style murder mystery, who done it? These characters emerge. Probably it was the weapons they used, the lead pipe or the candlestick or the drain pipe or whatever, uh, by which the deed was done. As I was reading through Revelation chapter 2, the message to Pergamon, uh, you have some interesting artifacts at the disposal of the Holy Spirit, scribed there in Revelation. You have a sword, you have a stone. And you have these secret things or the hidden manner within us. I want to ask simply the question this evening, uh, which might be appropriate across the whole of the book of Revelation if you think about it. I wonder what these verses might reveal to us about Jesus. It's the book of Revelation. Surely, despite some of the opaque messages and languages and images, it is meant, nonetheless, to reveal something to us about Jesus. First of all, I want to suggest it tells us something about our Lord's care for his church. Of course, these seven letters to the seven churches, there's something individually specified and spotted by the risen Lord that's happening in each of those Churches, as I do a cursory look around the churches of the deanery of Ecclesall, our sister churches, I think of one that's just about to lose a vicar because he's going on to another job. I think of one who's just about to retire and therefore the curate serving there needs to be transferred to another training incumbent. I think of one poor church that's lost lead. From its roof, we're back into all that again as lead theft increases. I think of another church whose windows are broken by vandalism. I think of another church whose vicar's got a cold. Shouldn't be uh, too hard on the poor fellow, it's a serious cold. And he's in bed, poor fellow. And I think of another church in the deanery whose vicar's somewhat nervous because he's going to be leading worship at the Diocesan Conference, as we go forward. Actually, if you think about the Lord and his oversight of all his churches, he seems to know what's going on within each of them. And there's a specificity, if you read from uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 15. We've heard this before. Similarly, at Ephesus, we have the teaching of the Nicolaitans that it seems to me this particular church in Pergamon were being drifted and enticed away to look at. The same is true here, as was true in Ephesus. There's idolatry, they're not believing fully in God. There's immorality, they're behaving just as if they wish. Those two Bs, it seems to me, always go together. If you believe less than you should you are going to behave in inappropriate ways. The same was true in Ephesus and also in this church in Pergamon. And so you have this striking, not murder implement, as in Cludo, but an image describing God himself, who has, as it were, a double-edged sword in his mouth. And to the angel of the church in Pergamon write, these are the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. It's there also in verse uh, 12. I know where Satan's throne is. I will come to you with a sword in my mouth. That's verse 16. The sword there is an image not of a murder weapon, but of a judgment symbol And judgment should be heard, not as a hard thing. Of course it's a hard judgmental word, but actually it's a caring implement. For if God is going to judge everything, it seems to me to be the case that God cares about everything. So if something slips, if there is something out of place and God cares about it, at some time God comes with a sword and says I will judge you can't believe just anything you can't behave just as you wish there is a sword metaphorically put with the risen Lord to say he looks at his church and he cares about it first of all then the Lord's care for his church secondly notice the Lord's connection with his people And I draw your attention to this remarkable saint of old, Antipas referred to in verse 13. Yet you are holding fast to my name. There is obviously some sense of wavering. Judgment is needed in some way, shape or form. Yet you are holding fast to my name. You did not deny your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my witness my faithful one who was killed among you. So these seven churches existed in seven distinct geographical areas. Their history and their demographic is known. Antipas is recorded as the first martyr in Asia in the ancient church. In fact, tradition has it that he was boiled to death in a bronze pot How gruesome and how graphic is that? I had the privilege recently of hearing Tom Holland speak. I do commend his podcasts and also commend his books to you. He isn't sympathetic to the Christian cause and to the Christian church, but he's known more popularly and famously as a BBC presenter in history. And I didn't realise till I was listening to him in fact, the depth and extent to which the Christian church altered and steered the world around it into the cause of Christ for the good of all. So there was one quite graphic, barbaric image. I mean, what is it that you boil someone in a bronze pot to death? I mean, what is that all about? So Tom Hollard was saying, archaeologists have discovered, spoiler alert, this is not particularly tasteful, through an analysis of sewage in the ancient world that where there were Christian communities growing and living, that infanticide wasn't practiced so regularly. In other parts of the community, where there weren't Christian churches established, thereby affecting and influencing belief and behaviour, About how domestic and other life would carry on, they found in one one area against the other less bones of dead children. Infanticide was practiced quite regularly in one area where the Christian church wasn't established. In other words, God's people influenced the world around them in quite remarkable ways. But what a connection to the Lord and his church we see through this wonderful saint of old, Antipas, the first martyr in the ancient world. Those around him who stood and followed with him held fast to the teachings of Christ, not swayed by the world. Notice how he's described. He's described in the NIV as a faithful Witness, or in this particular version, in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you. The readers of the book of Revelation would recognize that there was something going on here. How was the Lord Himself described in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5? None other, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. And it goes on, the firstborn of the dead. I wonder if you can see what was going on here. This wonderful saint, this first Christian martyr of the ancient world, what a glorious title given to him. A faithful witness. Exactly the same word describing Jesus Christ himself. A faithful witness How appropriate, how honourable, how true is that for someone who had ended his life for holding fast to the teachings of Christ, that he should be described in ways and tones and images of our Saviour himself. I don't want to fast forward us too quickly to our tombstones, but it is actually an interesting existential thought to have. I wonder what should be written on my tombstone. Don't think you can beat uh, Milligan's one. I told you I was ill. (laughs) No joking matter, but actually Antipas, they buried him. How should we describe him? Well, he was like our Lord. He was a faithful witness. Here he lies. I wonder what characteristics within us Speak of Christ, that others see that this is how we will be remembered by. Wonderful that as the risen Lord looks at his church, this church he has connections with, he looks at us, he sees us. We've not denied our faith, we've held fast to his name. So if the Lord has care for his church, nothing is out his outside his sharp sword gaze of judgment, if he has a connection with his people, those who hold fast to his name somehow look like Jesus to their core, so much so that through their days, that's how we will remember them. Look too at this wonderful gift that the Lord will give to his people. There is a charism for each of us. And so we're on, as it were, to these opaque, confusing images within the book of Revelation. Not the murder weapons, but these images that speak powerfully of what Christ will give us. The hidden manner and the white stone. So look towards the end of this particular letter to the spirit of the church in Pergamum. Let anyone who has an ear to hear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To everyone who conquers, or other versions have it, to everyone who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will give a white stone, and on the white stone is written a new name. Two images there, something of the hidden manna. That sense of spiritual food and sustenance that's hidden away within each of us. It's divine spiritual food that keeps us going. And then there's a white stone with a new name on it. It's almost as if you're a new person. It's almost as if you've got a new name. It's almost as if your personality is reshaped and reformed. These, I suggest, are incredibly powerful images, wonderful gifts that reveal to us what Jesus wants to be to us and give us. Hidden manner within. A sense of newness that I am new this day. I want to pause, though, and reflect with you the order with which these things come. It's after the Lord's seeming requirement to everyone who conquers, to him who overcomes, I will give this hidden manner. It's as if you will have strength within yourself, beyond yourself. To you who overcome, to you who conquer, I will give a stone with a name on it. It's as if you will feel a new you. It's as if you will be the you you're meant to be, shaped with Jesus. But notice the order with which this comes. To him who overcomes. To him who conquers. Perhaps I'm being a bit frivolous, but I think with the order with which this is Penned out in the sacred page here, there is, in a sense, a sloppy spirituality today. That's to say, I will only start to overcome. I will only start to move forward. I will only start to know the Lord once I've got this hidden manner. Once I feel like I am new. Once I have been, as it were, with the Lord, then I will make progress. Notice the order with which this comes. In fact, it happens in each of the seven churches. To him who overcomes, to him who conquers, I will give. Of course, in order to be an overcomer, there's probably a whole book or sermon series on that. To be a conqueror, to be an overcomer, We first of all need simply to turn and to be with Christ and to head in his direction. And when that happens, at least two wonderful charisms and gifts are given to us. Jesus says, okay, I'll give you more. I'll make you feel new as you should be. Other Christian language would say this is grace upon grace. We turn to him, we go with him, and he gives us even more. Grace upon grace, victory upon victory. Wouldn't it be lovely if every church that we passed had a sense in which it wasn't just the Diocese of Sheffield, saint this, that, or the other, But on each notice board there would be, these people are overcomers. These people have got life. These people are there to help other people who haven't got life with God to have life with God and overcome these things that happen. So may the risen Lord himself, who looks at each of us with his sharp-eyed sword, of caring judgment, give to each one of us that ability to hold fast when we turn to him, that wonderful gift of inner strength. It's as if Jesus Christ is there. It's when we're going about our life and all that the Lord calls us to, he makes us new each day. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To everyone who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I'll give a white stone, and a white stone is written a new name, that no one knows except the one who receives it. May even this evening we receive good things from the Lord, to help us to be overcomers for our own sake and for the sake of others to whom we live and pray for.